welcome, Sian. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I've been following your epic journey uh, with Pleasant State. Uh, for those listening, Sian is the creative director and co-founder of Pleasant State. I'm sure she will fill you in a bit more on what Pleasant State is and what they're up to at the moment. But uh, thanks for coming on, Sian. No worries. Thanks for having me. I will. Sorry, it's Sian. Everyone does it. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the biggest mistake made ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, do not worry. Everyone Straight does it. Um, <laughs> I was like, do I leave it or no? Yeah, but it's it's Sean, yeah. but it, honestly, it doesn't make sense. It's happened Sean. my whole life right. and That's kind good. of jump between At least the two. Yeah. yeah, now everyone will remember. Um, it's actually funny. So yeah, thanks for a, having me. I had a friend the same spelling of your name, and I was calling them Sian the whole time. So now I know. <laughs> it it could. It could be Siam, that's the thing. So that's why okay. it's so brutal because, yeah, so well, it's, least, you, don't, you don't know. <laughs> at least we've got to the bottom of that. So <laughs> that's the important thing. But, yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, how's everything been with Pleasant State? Yeah, it's a really interesting time for us. So we just wrapped up our crowdsource funding campaign two months ago. Um, and so I think even less, a month and a half. And so... It has just been a huge journey to date. We're just over three years in. Um, and so it's a really exciting time for us, to be honest. We've uh, we've grown so much. The business has changed so much. We just raised over a million dollars through that crowdsource funding campaign. My business partner, Amy, is currently in the US taking a month off. Uh, so this is the first time she's taken time off since we started as well. So it's a bit strange not having her. But um it's just we're, we're just kind of looking to the future now. We're doing a lot of branding work, a lot of long-term strategy, um, and also just taking it a little bit slower um, and trying to find a bit of balance in our personal lives too. So things are good. In like a sentence, it kind of feels like everything we put on the line and all that hard work that we did is starting to pay off now and we're starting to really see some growth within the business. So I'm happy and I'm really excited. Yeah, it's been uh, an epic journey for you guys. And how like, to yeah. take it back, where, like, obviously, you know, the amazing concept behind the plastic-free, toxic-free um, cleaning products, but where did that kind of idea first from or where did, the, where did it all begin? Yeah, so start of 2020, so Amy is my business partner. We're co-founders together. She was actually struggling with a, a bunch of health issues, so um like migraines, allergies, and she was trying to reduce, as a result of that, she was trying to reduce the toxins in her life. Um, and so that's the ingredients in the product she was using, but also the toxins um, that are released by plastics as well. So she was re removing things like, you know, there's so much plastic in your life that so many of us don't know about, like your mattress. Um, or well, I think her pillow was another one just any product they're like less obvious but just any product in a house that had plastics in it um beauty products but when it came to cleaning she couldn't find any plastic free and non-toxic and effective cleaning products because she also likes to have a really clean home so she went looking for a solution um and when chatting to a friend they were talking about this uh, concept of just add water cleaning products so it existed overseas um but no one was making it uh, in a plant with a plant-based formula no one was making it in Australia and no one was making it to like the, the quality um, that we feel that, that we could so Amy had the idea um, so she just was looking for someone and she also knew that she had the experience to like develop the product 
start this business and really bring together an amazing team, but she needed someone to help with the branding and the messaging. And luckily for me, that's where I came in. Uh, Amy and I did not know each other before we started Pleasant State. So people often think, yeah, people often think that we were longtime friends. We even had people think we were sisters at the start, which is hilarious. Um, because if you see us walk into a room together, we're, we look very different. I'm giant and she is small. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but we, so through a mutual friend, we, got into, we were introduced at a cafe um, and she told me about this wild idea. And for me, my background's in digital marketing. I was freelancing. I just relocated to the Sunshine Coast from Melbourne. Um, I had always always knew I wanted to start my own business. Um, and I really thought that marketing and uh, digital marketing would be a really good tool to have to start my own business. So when she came to me with this idea, I was super passionate about the environment. And so I was like, okay, cool. Let's give it a go. Let's see. Let's see what comes of this. I had no idea we would end up here. At the start, it was just kind of an idea we were looking into. But then a month after meeting COVID kicked off, uh, and it was kind of, it was now and ever. So I lost all my freelance clients. Amy lost a lot of her work as well. And so all of a sudden we just had this opportunity to just put everything we had into building the brand. Um, and in a way it was like, it was obviously it was a horrible time, but in some elements it was a perfect storm for us because if the world ever needed non-toxic plastic free cleaning products, like that time was now. So we just had to go all in. Um, and yeah, and that's how Pleasant State was born. Incredible story. It's just another amazing brand that was built out of COVID. I think that's the second person I've had on this show now that's uh, that said that they built their business out from COVID. So even though COVID yeah. was that bad, you know, tricky time, it seemed to have bred you know a lot of great entrepreneurs and businesses at the same time too. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And like I remember thinking during that time. So basically, like really, one of the big reasons, like me, I was personally able to do it was because. Through freelancing, I had access to JobKeeper. So it basically meant that I was able to put all my time into Pleasant State and still was earning a wage, whereas if I wasn't, it would have probably taken a lot longer because I would have balanced my other work and Pleasant State. But this meant, you know, for two years, we just worked on Pleasant State and I was able to afford that with, you know, out us paying ourselves. So just, just super lucky, really. But at the same time, I remember in that kind of first year of COVID, Particularly up here in the Sunshine Coast, we had it much easier than a lot of other cities. But people were just, I don't know. I, first day of COVID, I bought a keyboard because I thought I was going to learn the piano. And then because, because I was working so hard throughout COVID, I never touched it once. And I was a bit envious of other people that kind of had this like rare time to just like be at home and start practice new skills or get creative. Um, but now that it's kind of worked out, I think it was worthwhile you know, just putting my head down during that time. Yeah, and yeah, I think you were being creative in your own sense and creating this brand. Um, yeah. Which I must say, I love the brand. And Thank so what, you. like, when, um, obviously, you know, you came up with the idea at the cafe and you talked it over, what was the, uh, like, the launch like? I assume that would be a bit of, like, product testing and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, so we actually decided that we wanted to enter the market really quickly. So we knew that Just Add Water products uh, didn't exist in Australia yet. Um, and to give uh, listeners a bit of information on what Just Add Water cleaning product is, 
basically we've created concentrated bars um, that dissolve in hot water to create a range of different cleaning solutions. So we do a multi-purpose bathroom glass cleaner, a floor cleaner, um, and a hand wash and a dishwash. So basically you just feel we've got glass and silicon bottles, fill them up with hot water from your tap, drop in the bar, it dissolves, and then you can clean from there. So we were the first to make them in Australia, first to launch them in Australia, um, but we knew that the concept was growing quickly overseas. So we wanted to get to market really quickly. And that is why we decided to do, um, well, one of the reasons why we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign at the start of our launch. So we did that through a platform called Indiegogo. So basically um, customers could come on and pre-order our product um, and that would help us raise the funds we needed to manufacture. So there was a number of reasons. It was to enter the market quickly, to test uh, product market fit, make sure people actually wanted our products uh, and also helped us raise capital so we could order the custom glass and silicon bottles because that was a pretty big minimum order quantity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we launched with a crowdfunding. We did a lot of work before that on like a lot of market research so we could really understand who are our target customers, what are they looking for, and that really helped us shape Pleasant State and the brand as well. We always knew that in order to really change the way customers clean their homes and also differentiate ourselves from any other cleaning brand and any other cleaning brand in the Just Add Water space, we really wanted to focus on brand and the customer's connection to our brand um, and creating a really beautiful product that changed that relationship with cleaning. So understanding kind of their wants and a customer's wants and needs there before we launched was really important. So a lot of market research. And then we went into the crowdfunding campaign um, and that had a lot of testing as well. But product-wise, yes, that was really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to create a new product that no one's, manu particularly when you're manufacturing it in Australia. Um, a lot of, so the way that we do it is every time we launch a product as well, we do a product test. Obviously we test it internally, but we do a product tester campaign as well. So we basically say to our customers, um, sign up for your chance to test our product for free, um, which is a really good way for us of getting lead generation as well. So then we can use that in our crowdfunding or new launches. But then that means that we send out one to 200 of our our concentrated bars for customers to test before we even launch it. And then we send them surveys and get feedback, make any iterations we need to. And it just means by the time we actually launch each product, um, it's a really cost effective, but also yeah. really a community building way of testing products before they launch too. Yeah. And, you know, an honest raw feedback, which is exactly what you need, I guess, when you want to launch a new product range. And yeah. So with your your products, obviously, like when I whenever I walk up and down the cleaning aisle, one the smell of the chemicals just gives me an instant headache. But two, I noticed that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you buy, say, a normal bottle of Windex or you know nasty multi-purpose cleaner, you're you're basically paying for a bottle of water, right? Because that's what they're shipping yeah. around the country. So your yeah. concept and idea is to take the water out because you've already got water at home, and then add your bar in, and then you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Everyday cleaning products are 95% water. Um, wow. So you're buying mostly water wrapped in plastic and then that 5% active ingredients. It's often petroleum derived ingredients. Um, and I have learned so much about this over the last three years and it has blown my mind because I had no idea before Pleasant State. But the ingredients in those cleaning products contain known carcinogens, allergens and sensitizers. Um, I, there's a Melbourne Uni research um, 
that came out saying that 33% of Australians um, get headaches or reactions to artificial fragrances. And all of these products have artificial fragrances as well. So there's just so much we don't know about the ingredients in cleaning products. And that's because it's highly unregulated. So mm. cleaning brands don't ne legally need to disclose the ingredients in their products. Um, and these are products we're spraying all over our kitchen benches, all over our home. Yeah. They're, they're airborne. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a huge problem. And I came into Pleasant State really passionate about the plastic problem, Amy both. Um, and then throughout this journey, learning about all of these ingredients and how harmful they can be, both short-term and long-term, has just been wild. So it's just, it's been a big uh, big part of this as well is just educating um, because it is so like it's not discussed that much, um, but is educating, but also trying to educate our consumers without, I don't know, creating fear or being yeah. judgmental or anything like that as well. Yeah. And what do you think the, like, the reason is that these companies, you know, these other products are using all these nasty kind of fragrances? Is it because people, the consumer is wanting a nice smelling home or when do you reckon that entered the market or has it always been that way? So one of the really interesting um, points that came out of our market research was when we asked them, so basically in our market research, we'd chat to people and we'd say a lot of them were very um, health and sustainability minded, like focused people. And we'd say, can you, when you come to the next chat, can you please bring all the cleaning products under your sink and let's have a chat about what you're using. Um, and so it was just wild because all of it, the, like these people were really conscious about the food they ate, um, the, like the packet, sorry, the food they ate, um, the ingredients in their beauty products. Um, they were very sustainable minded people. They had a keep cup, you know, that type of stuff. But then when you ask them to bring out their cleaning products, it was all of the, the nasties or the, the well-known products that you'd find at the supermarket. And when we asked them why, they just said, oh, well, that's, I never thought about it. That's just what my parents use. So that's what I use. That's what's at the supermarket. That's what I think is effective. And so I think it's just kind of this cleaning is this um, like almost like a necessary evil that people have in their lives that they don't really think about it. They know that it's in, like for those serious cleans, it's important to have something that will kill germs or clean, clean their spaces. So they just kind of do what their family always did. And then there was also this misconception well, not necessarily misconception, a lot of them don't work as well, but that natural products don't work. And so a lot of them would have like one or two eco products, but then they'd still have all their powerful toxic chemicals because they thought that that's what they needed for those really deep cleans. So I think there's a, I think why are brands using them? Well, it's a lot cheaper. Um, it's, it's accepted. They're not getting much pushback, pushback from it. I don't, I don't know beyond that. I'm guessing it's because, well, I know it's a lot cheaper, so that's probably a big point, and it makes it really effective in terms of antibacterial cleaning. Um, but I think people use them because it's what they've always known, um, and that's what we've been taught as well. Like a lot of people think that we need to, we get asked a lot, are your products antibacterial cleaners? Um, so a lot of people think you need to be bleaching your home or using an antibacterial cleaner in order for it to be safe and healthy. Um, but yeah. what we know is that that's not, not true. Um, mm. So, yeah, I just think it's what we've always done. And it's so just kind of like re-educating and breaking yeah. those patterns, I suppose, which you can apply to so many other products or industries as well as people 
as trends change. Yeah, and I suppose, especially coming off the pandemic, people are a bit more, or not cautious, a bit more uh, into antibacterial products. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah 100%. And there's definitely, like, there's a time and a place for antibacterial products. So the World Health Organization does, like, they suggest using everyday cleaning should be a soap-based cleaner. Um, so okay. that's something like, like Pleasant State. But if you've got um, a case of COVID or someone very sick like in the house, then going over those um, areas and just doing like a deep clean with an antibacterial cleaner, like the World Health Organization recommends that. But that's not every day, all day. Um, mm. It's just for those like serious um, illnesses or things like that. But yeah, so I guess that's one of the future plans for Pleasant State too. Like what can we make that will fit that need um, as well, but it's still yeah. healthier in some way. But it's just, it's a tricky one, that one. Yeah, and who needs it? You just need pleasant state in your life. That's all you need, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I remember there was reports going around during COVID that said that you had to wash your um, fruit and vegetables in some kind of bleach water in case someone sneezed on it at the supermarket or something. So, yeah, no, I'd rather get COVID than wash my food in bleach. <laughs> bleach. Oh Crazy. no, that is a horrible that is a horrible idea. Awful. Well apparently if you mix bleach, bleach I think it's bleach and vinegar, uh it creates some toxic gas that you can't smell. I was listening to about it the other day. It's like you don't know that yep. stuff either. So like these things you walk past at your supermarket are just literally poisons and toxic chemicals that you know a kid can pick up really. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's wild. There's just so much we don't know about it it's I often joke about this so I when we started Pleasant State I was living in a share house and one of my housemates just was obsessed like wouldn't needed to clean with bleach once a week like the whole house top to bottom and obviously I was like um not a fan and so would say (laughs) can you not like I can I can smell it it's everywhere and then it ended up like I, I I would go out and I'd come home as soon as I walked in I was like Oh, she's done it again. I can smell it. Like a swimming try and do it when I went out. And yeah, but it was just wild. Like living with me, there's pleasant state in abundance. Use it as you like. But still, just from um, from her her experiences, her family experiences, and just this like need to be clean. Like she couldn't couldn't let it go. Like it wasn't clean unless it was bleach clean. And I gave her all these stats on like the health impacts and just still like it's it's really hard for some people to change those behaviors so mm. I totally I totally get it um and then I eventually I got her onto the pleasant state and she had a go she's like oh this actually works really well I was like well I told you <laughs> yeah but it's just that even mind my house made it's hard yeah <laughs> crazy and obviously with your amazing success recently with your your, your crowdfunding um how was that was it, it would have been quite a, a busy few weeks while that was all happening Yes, it was. It really like that campaign really went from February to end of June. So wow. it was a really big few months to prep that and get that ready. Um, and then that six weeks, so the EO, so basically a crowdfunding campaign split into the um, two, three week campaigns. So there's an EOI phase where everyone expresses their interest, and then three weeks of um, the investment offer being open and people putting their investments in. So. It's that's just while it's on, so six weeks of the campaign running, but there's so much work in the lead up to that to make sure you've got 
all the like the creative or the legal, also just the database and the marketing campaign to support it and get you to your target. But it was, yeah, Amy and I were just at the end, I was like, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. It was just exhausting, huge days. And just so like you needed to be so front facing. So, you know, you're, you've got this target, everyone can see it. It's in real time. And so not only am I logging in every day watching, being like, are we going to make it? But all of my friends and family and so many of our customers. So everyone's there and everyone knows if you're a bit off target. So it was just a hustle the the whole way. Um, And I said to my friends and family beforehand, I said, this is going to be a a rough, like a big few months for me. I'm sorry, I'm going to be a bad friend. Well, not bad, but I'm not going to. I'm a people person. So I was like, I'm going to be a bit absent. So I'm really sorry about that. I'll make it up to you afterwards and just have to get it done. And luckily, I've got a really supportive partner that cooked dinner every night and was just super supportive through all of it. He did propose to me in the middle of it, which was a bit rogue. Oh, wow. Um, But it was actually, (laughs) it was actually. Congratulations. At the time, I was like, thank you. uh, It was like two days before we launched. the uh, the investment offer and I was <laughs> at this in the split second where I proposed I was like why now and then afterwards I actually realized it was the perfect timing because in this kind of situation like running a business and in this startup phase it's always go 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 so yeah. you've always got a goal and to have that happen during this was just like gave it a really nice even though it was hard I had this really happy kind of personal undertone to everything so he nailed it um, but yeah, wild few months, just kind yeah. of settling now. But and really happy about it. What was your your ultimate target when you were raising? As in our goal, as in financially, yeah, or everything. Like what was was there like a, a dream number that you wanted to? Because obviously it was all publicly um, announced, and I followed a bit of the journey. But and it, yeah, to go back, I guess on your point, it would have been. I guess it's a different funding experience because it is that kind of live, you know, front facing. You can track how much is being put in compared to like, you yeah, know, a venture capital fund coming and in investing. It's all very much behind closed doors, and you don't hear anything about yeah, it exactly. until months later. Yeah, so we knew basically we we know that with crowdfunding, it's really hard to predict what happens as much as mm. we tried, and we also knew that we were doing it in a bit of a tricky time um you know there's a a, people have been very careful with their money at the moment so basically we knew what we needed we had like different levels so if we want to get this done then we need this much money that kind of thing but I'd say like to get we kind of had this like max about 1.5 and then so the way it works is you go into the crowdfund but you might, we might have that idea, but we actually, the reason you run that EOI campaign is to see like what's the market doing, how interested are people, where will that actually sit? And then that's how yeah. you then set the target that you run with. So that was kind of the max we were going when we went into it without actually looking at all the numbers and, and um, seeing the, like the interest in the campaign. Um, and so once we did that, we were like, okay, awesome. We're going to set it at that like 1.1. I think we think we'll because we want to get as close as you can to that target too. Our like the number we really wanted was over a million. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, let's just put a little stretch because see what happens there. Um, so we ended up raising our 
just over a million. So I think it was like a million and 60 from 724 investors. Um, and so, yeah, super stoked with that result. We, it was interesting because we based our, so you look, when you put together your campaign, you're looking at previous campaigns. And so we were looking at them from, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, similar types of brands and trying to estimate our numbers based off that. But it was, it was completely different. And virtual, the platform we use, they said to us, they're like, this is a much harder time to raise money than two years ago or three years ago. So just be wary of that. And so that a couple of weeks into the campaign, when we realized, okay, our forecasting is, was off, basically, um, we, we have to just work harder to get there and figure out other ways to get there, which we did. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of meant you're constantly readjusting and learning and coming up yeah. with new ways. The strategy that we went in with, it, it didn't just, it didn't just all fall into place, but that never happens. Honestly, you're always yeah. pivoting. There's always somebody that comes in and throws hurdles. And how, uh, how has it yeah. been since, obviously, you know, since landing that funding, um, I guess it you know, changes your kind of scope of, and vision of the business. Now you've got some, some money to play with and you know, invest into different procedures and, you know, in different operations within the business. That must be pretty exciting now. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, we've hired a marketing manager, which is amazing. Um, and we're, what we're looking really to do now, so throughout this whole process as well, we brought on um, a few really exciting advisors as well. Um, and so it was about two weeks ago when we were in Melbourne for another event um, because a lot of the team that we work with are in Melbourne. Um, we had this big brainstorm strategy. So for we all met on a Saturday morning and spent the day just kind of looking at like who, what, what's working, who do we want to be, where do we want to go? And it was just this like wild brainstorm of ideas. And I just remember like sitting back that morning and just seeing all these amazing people in the room and how, how invested they were in Pleasant State and how excited they were. And that was really the first time to me where I was like, you know, Amy and I, and obviously we've, we've had other people, so many people help us along the way, but we'd put so much into this and now it's grown into this thing where there is another, you know, all these other people now that are just as invested as we are and just as passionate and excited about the future as we are. Yeah. So that's been very cool. One of my favourite things is all the people that are starting to come in now and join it, join the journey. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're just we're planning. So, you know, like a brand strategy, like a big brand awareness campaign, how do we want, what messaging do we want to use? And then um, next year looking at retail. And then hopefully a few years after that, potentially international. So we're just D to C at the moment. So looking into retail is a really exciting next step as well. Yeah, I guess, you know, the sky's the limit really in terms of because everything needs to be clean and the world needs your products um, quite desperately in terms of both the plastic pollution problem and the toxicity problem. So um, I'm super excited yeah. to see how it goes. Yeah, thanks. Me too. And I think the next, like the, Next thing we want to do as well is just really focus on that relationship with cleaning as well and just disrupting that area of the, like the, the market. Um, and so how can we make it more fun? How can we make it more customizable? How can we bring kind of more enjoyment or, or make cleaning pleasant, as we like to say? So I think now that we've got more resources, that's the bit I'm really excited about as well. Like how can we change, sh shake things up a bit? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an amazing few years ahead, I think, for everyone, including the seven hundred or something investors involved now too. Yeah, definitely, we've got to do it for them too now. Totally. 
And I noticed recently you're at a um, SBE, SBE event um, for you know an event that empowers women in business. How was how was that? That was awesome in a word. Um, yeah. So we, we uh, were accepted into the global program through SBE. So basically, that's the program that supports um, female-led businesses that are looking to go international. Um, but it also, so it supports with the international aspect, but then it also has an element of the program that's about developing female uh, women leaders. Um, and so we, so there's two elements to it, which I think is amazing because so often in incubators or programs, you go in and the focus is on really on um, the business and developing that and what and opportunities there. And that's where you get mentored. But this program with SBE also gave Amy and I um, as like leaders, mentorship, mentors as well, um, which was my favorite part of it because you, I, I like I haven't done this before. I haven't started. I haven't started a business before, and particularly going into it and it growing so quickly. You know, I started this at twenty seven, um, and it's just been this like huge growth journey for me as well. And then all of a sudden, I'm being put in these big boardrooms and having these really scary like well they seem scary conversations. It, like as we went into that, I was just struggling a little bit with like confidence and imposter syndrome and that type of thing. Yeah. And so the SBE program was like, I was given a, one of my mentors was like a personal development coach. So every week we'd have a, a chat, which you just go through things I was worried about, things that were stressing me. Um, it was during the crowdfunding too. So it was just perfect timing to have well, that support yeah. throughout too. Um. But yeah, that's that was my favorite part of it is that it just really focused on us as people and and helping us be better leaders both for the business for our team and then in our personal lives, um, and then also gave us a lot of um, resources and mentors and support from uh, you know amazing people with so much experience to really help us prepare to go global as well. So yeah. overall, it was awesome, um, and the people that we did that were part of the program with us as well. So the other female founders and their businesses were just incredible. So learning alongside them was a very cool experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a, a, a you know, a similar woman that's probably in your spot when you were 27, that's thinking about starting a business or thinking about doing something, it must be quite inspiring to see uh, where, you know, where you guys have gotten to being a female founder run uh, company now would be, would be epic I, I would imagine if i was a, a young female wanting to get into business because you know unfortunately i think it is a bit daunting for for females in that industry at the moment so yeah people like yourself that step up and do it i think the better for everyone yeah it, it 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 is i definitely went into it um a little bit naive really i i've just always been a like a go-getter. I love just pushing myself, trying new things. If something, yeah. if, if an opportunity comes up, often I'll just do it without really thinking about it too much. I'll just kind of off I go, like like, like doing a triathlon in 12 weeks yeah. that I'm unprepared for. <laughs> I'll just be like, all right, let's go, let's do it. And then only like once I'm a little bit in, will I be like, oh, okay, yep, now I'm really thinking this through. Um, and so I would not change anything for the world with Pleasant State, but I just kind of like, put my head down and started working on it and all of a sudden I found myself in these situations where I was being really challenged and also I to date I hadn't really experienced um some of the, a, 
just because I had a pretty privileged upbringing, hadn't experienced a lot of the barriers women faced. Um, And I hadn't experienced it firsthand. So, and when that did start coming up in these situations, when I did start noticing it, it was pretty confronting. And so it's about overcoming that as well. And, you know, I've had to people tell me that I look too young, that I need to dress certain ways and that type of thing to, to be, to be, to be, to be the right person in business. And so when I heard all that, that kind of knocked me back a bit. That's really hard because I started changing who I was changing how I spoke, how I, how I dressed, how I mm. behaved to try and fit that mold. But only recently have I realized that when I'm doing that, I'm not the best version of myself. And there's a reason that right. I'm, really, I'm really good at communication and branding and marketing, and that's because I have my own unique way of expressing myself and connecting with people. And if I'm not being genuine, then I'm not as good at it and people pick up on it and they can sense that I'm anxious or nervous or less confident. So I just... That was kind of like part of the SBE program too. I just realized if I'm the reason I'm here is because of, of who I am and my skills. And so I don't need to hide them for anyone. And if they don't like it, then they're not my people. Um, and so as soon as I kind of stepped back into me and who I am, I just have noticed such a change in, in those conversations that may, I may have found scary before or thought people second guessed me or thought I looked young or didn't seem to know what I was talking about. People seem to yeah have a, have a, haven't had any issues with it yet but it's yeah a huge learning curve but don't let people like, tell you what that. to do who to be yeah. <laughs> totally yeah i think that's that's an awesome way to be as well just yeah like you said if you don't like it then take a hike it's uh it's the way yeah it is. it's hard it's a work in progress yeah yeah definitely yeah you're always like it's as a people pleaser it is hard i do find it difficult but at the end of the day, like if you're not being your authentic self, other people will notice it, you will notice it, and it will just have an impact on everything, really. So, and I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm still perfecting, I'm still working on it personally, but it's had a huge impact for me. Yeah, good on you. That's amazing. And another amazing um, achievement, I guess, pleasant satisfaction is obviously achieving the B Corp, B Corp certification. Um, I know how much of a grueling process that is too and a big process. So you've ticked off some pretty big, pretty big ticks along the way. How was that whole um, B Corp journey and, you know, obviously it kind of shapes and molds your business as you are now and how was it? Yeah, definitely. So I'm very lucky to have uh, Amy, my business partner. She, well, not only is she incredible, but she has been really um, the one that had spearhead a lot of this. So when we started Pleasant State, she said you know, she had a back, like a corporate background. She had worked in sustainability and like huge brands. And she just realized that in order to make a really meaningful and impactful change, business needed to be done differently. And so when, a, when we started Pleasant State, she came in with all of this experience and all of this um I guess, motivation and inspiration to really change how it was done, which is fascinating from my end because I'd worked in digital marketing, but I haven't, and I had been doing a lot of personal work to, you know, fight plastic and that type of thing. And, um, but I hadn't experienced what she experienced. So when we started Pleasant State, she's like, okay, um, we need to start with an ethical decision-making framework. I think it should be B Corp. I was like, cool, let's do it. Um, And so she that meant that we basically built Pleasant State from day one to be a B Corp, which yeah. actually makes it a much, it's a lot easier than businesses that are 
five, 10 years of, you know, established brands that then pivot to try and fit the B Corp mold. So yeah. that was a really good way to start. So if you're like starting a business and you know you want to build a really ethical, people-focused business, looking at those B Corp requirements and just match, making sure you keep those in mind when you make any business decisions is super handy. Um, so it meant that with you, basically you have to kind of be trading for a year to, and get everything set up probably before you can go for the certification. But it meant that, yeah, we were B Corp certified in our second year, which is very early. Um, and it was very time intensive. So like, Amy basically, as I said, she just, she led that um, setup, but they review so much of what you send through. So you like, they really do their due diligence and they really check that you are. So it's a, when you see a B Corp brand, you know that, you know, they're a truly ethical and mm. sustainable business that's putting people first. So I would always look out for B Corps. But yeah, I just luckily we built it from the ground up. Um, but for me as well, it's it, this is like, it's fascinating because it's all I know. Yeah. So I've never run a business that isn't sustainable. So it's, it's um, I, yeah, it's been fascinating. Like I've learned so much from Amy and, and through this process. Um, but if it like, and when I see it in comparison to other businesses now, it just blows my mind because I just thought like, this just seems so like it obvious to me, this is how you should run business. It's actually, yeah. it's not that difficult. You just have to be a bit conscious and mm. make tough decisions when you need to. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it was a really good process and, and yeah. now we're aligned with a bunch of amazing brands. It's funny you say that because. Uh, it, it would be a much better world if everyone followed to their kind of script of what a business should be. And like you said, it, it, most of it is pretty easy stuff. I mean, for some businesses, like if you're an oil rigger or you know you make plastic and like you know, under, <laughs> under those scopes. But yeah, definitely. I guess for people listening, what were some of the like in terms of the B Corp strategy and the way they like to see businesses operate, and, you know, from an ethical and sustainability standpoint, what were some things that you have to, I guess, follow? Or I guess you're a bit different because you said that you used it as a mold. It's a great idea. Um, mm. but what were some of the things that you had to navigate through or they wanted you to navigate through in order to achieve certification? It's things like, so they, like, they measure you across a whole range of, basically criteria and aspects of your business. Um, examples are things like people. So who you hire, um, how you hire, basically like their, how much you pay them, all those types of things as well. So it's just, and, you know, we're always going to be, we're the type of business that will always pay all of our employees fairly and really value them. But that has to be considered through every aspect as well. Then also, the um, suppliers we work with, how they need, ideally they're located close to you. So you're work, working with locally sourced suppliers and then kind of moving, you know, if there's no one in your local area that can meet that need, then you can kind of go to the next area, next area. And that's kind of how they rate you in those areas as well. Um, it's about uh, it, like the ingredients that we're using in our products, how sustainable our products are. So there's just, they basically rate you on a whole different aspect of areas of your business um like the power that you use the where your building is that type of thing as well where you're located as a rural business so um every aspect is reviewed yeah um within the business and so it, like like every, every yeah so much of it 
I'm just trying to think if there's any other examples. Sounds like it's an all-in-all all mm, pretty, that's probably uh, pretty intense program to be in, you know, because they also review, uh, they review continuing in the business too, right? So you just like you just get the yeah, you have to resubmit. Good. Yep. How often do you have to resubmit? Yep. yep. Um, I think it's every couple of years. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure. Sorry. That's okay. I'm lucky that Amy manages that one. So. <laughs> You can just handball that off. That's a, that's a question for Amy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. And with your, obviously before the show, we spoke a bit about your challenge of at the moment you're going through a triathlon or training for a triathlon. What's, yeah. uh, what brought that on? Because it sounds like you've got uh, a lot I... of your plate already. <laughs> Yeah, look, I always love, that's very sporty person, always love sport. Um, I was, a, I kind of think the whole reason that I'm who I am today is because I was a competitive swimmer growing up. Um, and so I always need to have something that I'm doing, like mm. sports wise. And then I, since I was like early 20s, I was playing AFL and then oh, started wow. playing AFL up here in Noosa and then hurt my knee last year. So, I couldn't do that anymore. Well, I could, but I, it's not worth the risk of injury. And so I just kind of was like, what's the next thing I can do? Because I loved, I, I, to me, just having something each day to work towards that's outside of work is just a huge, like it's for my mental health and just energy. Mm. It's just really important to me. It's like a t it's when I switch off and um, also when I process things too. So. And, and up living on the Sunshine Coast, I surf a lot as well. But for me, triathlons, I don't know why I'm doing I think also I turned 30 and I was like, okay, what? I need to, I need to be fitter. I need to be healthier. <laughs> I'm getting older. And I was always like, triathlons is the thing I'm going to do in my 30s to just like make sure I'm like healthy and really push myself. And so as soon as I turned 30, I signed up for the Noosa Triathlon and now we'll see how we go. But so it's just, yeah, just having – um, getting outdoors and exercising each day to me is just so important to then help with everything else in my life. And I love a goal and a challenge. And so yeah. whether it's, yeah, whether it was footy or a triathlon, um, it's just something to work towards outside of work as well to give a bit of balance. Yeah. And did you find that was, that was pretty useful during that time of the funding round too? When you said you were a bit yeah, you know, under the pump and mm. stress. Did you find that it was a, a relief or not so much? It would have been if I could do it. Right. Um. So, so sometimes when it just gets so hectic, it slips off the radar. And I guess that's why I'm a little bit behind on my training for this triathlon. But I would still, yeah, the crowdfunding got a little bit like wake up, work, go straight to work, like, work straight away, yeah. go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. Like that's the kind of intensity we were working at. So, and this, and that is why it impacts me so much because I did not have the time to go surfing or go for a walk even or that type of thing. And every opportunity I could find, I would do it. Um, but sometimes you just need to put your head down and get it done. But it is not sustainable and you have to have a clear time limit is what I say. Like yeah. I'll do it for two months or a week, four weeks. And then I get straight back into my routine. But I just as soon as I do, I just notice how much happier I am and how much more creative I am in work as well. 
Um, but yeah, during the crowdfunding, I struggled, definitely struggled to find that balance. I did it wherever I could, but there wasn't a lot. Yeah, but I guess you definitely noticed, like you said, you notice the difference. If you if you do slip off those good habits, you like, ah, oh, yeah, this actually does make me feel good about myself. Oh, 100%. Yep. <laughs> I, I think during that crowdfunding campaign, I like posted, um, because I used Strava and I put every time I ran, I was like, all right, back to it, let's go. And then it would be like another two weeks. And I was like, oh, okay, here I am. So I definitely dropped. Yeah, 100%. I was struggling. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's uh, It's been epic to hear about, you know, the, the details that, not for people, I guess, but know of how hard you know, both of you have worked to, to get Pleasant State to where it is now. Um, I'm really, really excited to see where it goes. And I'll be definitely, me and my partner have been meaning to buy your products for quite some time now. So we're going to get off this call and do it straight away. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> would love that yeah but but thank you uh i'm excited to see what happens and uh maybe in a in a in, a, in the future we'll have you back on to see how your global uh rollout journey's gone yeah 100 percent. imagine that what's i can yeah. see it happening uh, that would be very cool but yeah yeah that's the goal but yeah thank you so much for having me i um, really appreciate it pleasure we'll talk soon thanks jack